Good day, everyone. Welcome. Talk number four. The title is Recollection and Staying in the Presence of God. I'm going to be deepening that, deepening that understanding of what it means, this, this way of the heart, and to always stay centered in God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds and our hearts. Lead us into the fullness of the truth. Lead us to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Mary, seed of wisdom, pray for us. Saint Arsenius, pray for us. Saint Teresa of Avila, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so as invoked, therefore, our intercession, uh, St. Arsenius, St. Teresa of Avila, we'll be speaking about them today. And we're going to dive into um, what it means uh, when St. Arsenius talks about fleeing solitude and gaining this maturity and freedom. Uh Talk about silence and recollection and bring in the prophet Elijah as well. So this is going to be a lot today. I'm going to combine two talks from Father John of the Senecal's retreat. Um, so the great thing about doing a retreat based on a retreat is that anything that doesn't sound right or anything that's bad, I can blame on him, blame on Father John. And also anything that's good or fruitful, um, then I can put that on him as well. I guess I could put it on myself, but no, I put it on Father John as well. And Father John hopefully being inspired by, by God. So anyway, whether it's me or him, it all goes back to God, to his glory. So that is the main thing here. And we're going to try to do two conferences because we had nine talks there while we were on the retreat. And we're going to do eight together. So this is the one that's combined. All right, so let's go. Start off with St. Teresa and the mansions. There was a quick kind of uh, summary and a few points um, that were given on our retreat concerning the mansions. So I'm going to... Uh, give a few, give a few things that we that we heard there. So those of you who aren't familiar, Saint Teresa of Avila, who lived in the 16th century, uh, known as a master of the of prayer, master of the mystical life, master of um, our progression towards God, was a, a Carmelite nun who uh, helped reform the Carmelites along with Saint John of the Cross who is also a doctor of the church, mystical doctor of the church. And those two had uh, profound connections together as they reformed the Carmelite church and wrote uh, treaties on prayer. And St. Teresa, to speak about the progress and the spiritual life and the way we come closer to God, she, she put it in, uh, she put it in a way of a mansion and the seven stories of a mansion and the way we kind of progress through there. 
Now, with any kind of image, any illustration of how we progress in the spiritual life, remember that it's always going to be just that, an image, and it's always going to be very schematic. And it's not, um, it's not how it works actually in our own life, our spiritual life, which is going to be messy, and it's going to be kind of all over the place, and we can be in different places at the same time, and we can go up and then go back down. But all the same, it does say something true about our progression and how we, how we work through different stages of our spiritual life. And it can be very helpful and uh, fruitful because uh, this understanding of kind of where we are and what challenges we're passing through and what darkness we may be going through or what joys or consolations we may be experiencing will uh, give us lights to... Um, to progress uh, the best we can, to allow ourselves to to put ourselves into the into the Potter's hand, to allow ourselves to be shaped by God, um, without putting the obstacles uh, in the way, so that God can do His work much more easily with our free will, with our cooperation, and with our freedom. And so, it's this. It's this part of this enlightening experience, the enlightenment of our heart, to be able to listen to God, to see how God is working, um, and to dispose ourselves to that. And, and again, the image of the being birthed, it's, it can be a painful process, um, but if we know it's good and we know God is good and we know He's in charge, then... We can we can allow that to happen in a, in a way that is going to be not only less painful, but uh, in a way that uh, is going to be a great a great joy and a great consolation as we unite our heart with Christ's, which is always united to the Father. So the seven mansions. Um, The first mansion to the third mansion is a search for God. It's really a search, and it's where you work energetically to dispose yourself to God's grace. And this prayer of recollection, of recollecting yourself in God constantly, is the main asceticism. Asceticism meaning the discipline, the, the denial that you have to do uh, often so that you can put your time, your thoughts, your energy uh, into uh, the path that you're going. Because that's just a part of life, as you know. We just always are making choices and priorities and choosing and where do we put our attention, etc. So the main discipline, the main asceticism um, in these first mansions is to continually recollect ourselves in God. Later in the other mansions, we'll see that the asceticism, the disciplines of fasting, of um, maybe more the classical things that we think is as penance or uh, these disciplines, those come actually later. And that was interesting and good for me to hear because I think the typical thing that we think of is that it's at the beginning of the spiritual life uh, 
the beginning of a, maybe a conversion to Christ or coming into the church or a reconversion or we may have been Catholic all our life and now we're starting to get serious about our faith. And um, there might be a tendency to think, ah, I really got to do some uh, fasting. I really got to um, get rid of uh, sleep. I, I got to sleep less. I got to... Um, do all kinds of prayer, etc. But as we'll see, that actually is, uh, that can stifle um, the kind of growth that at the beginning it should just be a, um, a continual plunging into God, living from the fullness of God's grace, uh, that knowledge of God's goodness, His love for you, His mercy, uh, the knowledge of our own incapacities, of our selfishness, of our sinfulness, and continually kind of grounding ourselves, rooting ourselves in God. And in prayer, that'll mean recollecting our, our senses into a focus. That's why it can be good to shut our eyes often during prayer. We kind of let go of the world around us and collect ourselves into God during prayer. And this recollection, this centering ourselves in God, um, it's always in view of that encounter, that encounter with Christ. And that's why conversation with God is so key when we set aside that time alone with God. That I guess we could say in a sense that it's all to come it's all to come to that, to that conversation. So everything should be favored towards that. If we're going to pray a decade of the rosary, if we're going to open up our scripture, if we're going to do spiritual reading, it's so that that can launch us into a conversation with God. Now I'm talking about especially these prayers because that's what St. Teresa of Avila and all the saints and uh, just the, the spirituality uh, in general, of a Christian is to have intimate conversation with God. And so if we're going to the Mass, if we're uh, praying the Rosary, if we have devotions, please, we, we must have carved out also that time in our day um, of being alone with God, shutting the door in our room and being, being alone with God. And it's there that we continually try to, we allow ourselves to be disposed to, to speak to God in the depths of our heart. And so that's the spiritual combat, to stay in contact with the Lord, yes, throughout our day, but in that time of prayer too. And St. Teresa of Avila will, will say that uh, she would never bring a, she would never come to prayer without spiritual reading and the Bible. And for 17 years, uh, she did this. Spiritual reading, a good spiritual book, and the scriptures especially, is something that we can always pick up and something that's going to allow us to uh, bring our attention and our focus back. So that hopefully from there we can go into that conversation with the Lord.
So we progress the first mansion, the second mansion, the third mansion that St. Teresa describes is really where we become more constant and persevering and more and more rooted. And we come to that fourth mansion where we get more into um, the night of the senses. And we, in contemplation, this kind of infused um, gift of God that allows us to rest in God, to be in His presence, to be still, uh, comes much more easily and it's, it's much more given to us. And so the asceticism there, the discipline, um, starts to become more of um, the gifts are being poured into my lap. The graces are overflowing. And now I want to give back to God. I want to really uh, give in some way, in some form, from the fullness that I've been given. And now my, my mind, my energy, my resources aren't so depleted. Um, I just feel filled kind of all the time. And so I really can give back now. Where before, maybe if you've tried these fasts and these different things that it's so, it can be so draining and it can be, it can confuse us. It can uh, really dissipate our energy. But here it's, it starts to come into this cycle of I'm so loved. I'm given so much and I want to give back. And that giving back kind of empties us out even more. And it allows this space to be opened up even more. And so God's grace pours in even more. It floods us. It's a torrent. And, and that allows us to give even more. Maybe some more fasting. We really concentrate on um, working at some of these, uh, these vices, these bad habits that we have. We really try to hold our tongue in certain situations. We're really uh, much more attentive to avoiding these situations that may cause us cause us to flare up in anger or to lose our peace and all kinds of things, uh, depending on the moment and the time and our vocation, those different things that um, allow us to really enter into that night of the senses. And so the fourth, fifth, sixth mansion, those are going to be uh, a time of kind of two poles where we have this contemplation and we have these visits from the Lord. And this, this night of the senses, which I mentioned, um, it's a grace. Always remember that. The night of the senses or the, the night of the spirit is going, to be, um, is going to be a grace from God that allows us to cling to Him and Him alone. that allows us to always go deeper and kind of sink into He who is the foundation of our life. And those first, first to third mansions, it, God gives us a lot of kind of spiritual gifts and a lot of, a lot of candy, so to speak, stuff that's maybe that later on is not going to be good for us. He's trying to draw us in. He's trying to keep us close. But these uh, consolations that often come 
as we progress, are a bit narcissistic. It's a bit for, for ourself. And we, we really can rejoice in it uh, in a way that can be a bit narcissistic. In the night of the senses, we're kind of weaned from those graces. Jesus is trying to allow us to choose him from our heart, which, of course, implies the will. We will it. We can't sense God is there when things in our life aren't going in a certain way that we thought. We can still choose to say, yes, God is good, and God will bring good out of this. Everything works for the good for those who love God. And God is here present. I can't feel him. I can't sense him. But he is here. So Jesus is moving ourselves to him. He's saying to, saying to us, where is your heart? What are you choosing? Lord, I choose you. And so... I'm sure you've had that experience that when a certain kind of darkness comes, a certain desolation, you feel something's off, you feel something's wrong. And then you make that prayer, no, Jesus, you're here. Lord, I trust in you through this. A strange kind of experience happens, a, a strange grace it's as if you, you sense that it's true, you, you have a sense of peace that's kind of deep and buried, that's not really sensible. And you, you have a sense that, yes, this is a sure foundation because I'm, I'm choosing with my will the good, the ultimate good. And with my heart, I'm choosing truth. I'm choosing goodness. And now I don't have to go by feelings. I'm not kind of being blown around here and there um, that this is something that is solid, a solid foundation. So I give myself to the Lord because He's giving Himself to me. So that's where we can really understand that the Desert Fathers, who we're going to talk about in a bit, especially St. Arsenius, where they can do some really crazy stuff with the asceticism. And um, we can understand that better now because they are just being flooded by God's grace and according to their vocation, which was to live a radical life in the desert, the asceticism got pretty intense. For them, it wasn't necessarily intense in the sense of... Um, a huge, a big deal. Like, oh, I really got to like finish this marathon of, of fasting. No, for them, it was just their day-to-day -day life. And it was, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, type deal. It's just something that they did and something they were called to and the way the Holy Spirit was, was leading them. It's that treasure where we sell everything. Um, we discover the treasure and then we're given so much that we want to just continue to sell everything. Everything that's not of God, I give you back. And, and the joy is to put our efforts into that of, um, of giving up things to empty ourselves more so as to be filled with God. 
Okay, so much for St. Teresa of Avila. Let's move to St. Arsenius. So St. Arsenius lived in the 4th and 5th century. Um, here's a quote from St. Isaac of Nineveh, who wrote on St. Arsenius. And he says that concerning what is said about the admirable Arsenius, that fathers and brethren came to see him, but that he sat with them in silence and dismissed them in silence. Do not think, my brother, that this happened by the action of his will alone, though in the beginning he had to compel himself. After some time, Delight is born in the heart from the exercise of this service. And by force, it draws the body towards remaining in silence. St. Arsenius was called to an incredible life of silence. And we're going to speak about the, the real jewel, the importance of silence in our life. What that means for where we are. So St. Arsenius lived a very interesting life. He was, um, first of all, in Rome. And he was born in the year 350. He grew up Christian. Uh, sounds like he was in a, a senatorial family, so he was kind of the elite. And... Right away, kind of, a, kind of like St. Anthony the Desert... Um, after his parents died, his sister, her na- the sister's name's interesting, Afrocity, A-F-R-O-S-I-T-T-Y. So his sister Afrocity was admitted to a community of, of nuns, and he gave all his riches to the poor, and he lived the ascetic life. But then Pope Damasus um, recommended him to the emperor Theodosius. And so in the year 383, when St. Arsenius was 33 years old, he went to the east and was a tutor to the sons of the emperor. And it seems like he did that for quite a while, at least 10 years. And he lived, the, the emperor just poured and lavished on him all kinds of honors, all kinds of good food. So imagine that you have this kind of holy man who's an ascetic and who uh, wants to be so poor with God and now he's being just <laughs> poured on with all these graces. So it was, uh, it was a huge trial for him. And then it seems like one day it really came to a head when he was uh, praying and he said, Oh God, teach me how to be saved. Oh God, teach me how to be saved. And then he heard that gospel passage from Matthew that says, For what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? So he leaves Constantinople, he flees. He comes to Alexandria and goes to the wilderness. He's first presented to St. Macarius the Great, and then he recommends him to St. John the Dwarf. 
<laughs> so watch out. If you have St. John the Dwarf as your spiritual master, as your spiritual father, you're probably going to, to enter in some the rough, the rough path. So this is around the year 400. He's about 50 years old. He joins the desert monks and um, kind of his testing period with St. John, with John the Dwarf was that he's just coming into the community. Um, he goes into um, the place where they're eating. The monks are there eating. And he's just told to stand while everybody sits and watch them eat. He's probably starving. He's probably already kind of had a hard time getting there. He's, he's, he's hungry. He's, he's tired. He's fatigued. So just stand, watch us eat. And then halfway through, John the dwarf throws a piece of bread at him and with total indifference and says, eat, eat if you want to. So Arsenius meekly picks up the bread and eats and sits on the ground. So John the dwarf is satisfied with his proof of humility. He takes him under his direction. And then from there, Arsenius is really at home and lives 45 years in the desert um, with all kinds of amazing stories. He becomes a sage, he becomes a wise man, etc. And the Hesychia, the famous Hesychia, H-E-S-Y-C-H-I-A, seems to come out of Arsenius's life. It's a way to speak of this silence, this recollection, this spirituality that comes, that so influenced the East. And along with that um, passage of scripture that came to him about what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, world but loses his soul, when St. Arsenius asked, how can I be saved? He also had in kind of that deepening, that, that deepening grace there, um, another answer that said, flee, flee from man and you will be saved. That's why he went to the desert. And then somewhere along the line too, another answer that came from the Lord that says, flee, be silent and rest. Flee, be silent and rest. So that's what we're going to go into now. These three things. And what does that mean for our life, those who aren't called to flee into the desert? What does that mean to, to flee, to be silent, and to rest? So this, this fleeing away from the world, from man, this, this solitude, it's a way to gain our freedom with Christ. Now there's a very interesting point here that we had at the retreat that uh, that I really have a desire to deepen and to think about, to reflect on. It has to do with this first point of solitude, of fleeing, this way of gaining our freedom. And uh, it's tied in with the way that we grieve. We have to learn how to grieve in a way that's mature. Because St. Arsenius leaves, uh, he, flees, he flees man, right? And he goes out into the desert. Now, the temptation when we flee anything, whether it be our friends that we think might not be a good influence, family members for that matter, um, when we uh, give up certain things that, that aren't good in our life, 
I remember especially when I was a teen, kind of struggling with those things as I wanted to follow Christ or coming back to the church. you always got to remember that you're fleeing something good, metaphysically good. And to try not to associate uh, what we're leaving, the world itself is good, created by God, good. And even more so, human beings who are made in the image of God. So evil is, evil is, doesn't exist on its own. And that's the, that's the interesting point of reflection and a point to deepen it. Evil doesn't exist on its own. Evil is a degradation. It's a distortion of the good. There is no metaphysical evil. There's no evil in itself. So all evil is a distortion of the good. So when you flee, you are fleeing something good. And that means that we have to be able to grieve it in the right way. Or other way, otherwise, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving the world. I'm going to join the religious life. And you, you kind of stuff it down. Oh, that's what God wants. That's what it is. So see you guys later. Um, whatever it is, we might want to spend more time in prayer. And we have to give up time with the family. We have to let go of certain activities. Um, those things are, are, are good, good things. And so there's going to be a natural kind of grieving grieving process along with that and that's going to take all different shapes and forms according to what we're giving up you know it's one thing to give up uh, alcohol or drugs that is obviously not good for us Uh, it's another thing to give up friends or family that um, it's a different different thing so psychologically when we flee something We're fleeing something good. And to be an adult is to learn how to renounce things. And you must be able to grieve these things. And it's uh, a psychologist from Switzerland, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who seems to made some real breakthroughs in this area of grief. And she had a, a book that focused on kind of the five stages of grief. And just like the seven seven mansions where we don't necessarily go through these one step at a time and they can all be mixed together. It's just to give insights and it's to give, um, it's what experience shows as well and who she worked with to show, yeah, there's certain uh, things that come up. There's certain areas in our rehabilitation and our grieving process uh, that continually come up. And so she was talking about these five stages. Um, first stage is denial. Second is anger. Third is bargaining. The fourth is depression. And the fifth is acceptance. And so denial, anger, bargaining, those are kind of ways to control. Depression, we start to let go of that control, but we don't know how we're going to get out of it. And then finally, acceptance, where we understand that life doesn't stop here. Life continues and you can embrace what is good, let go of the bad. You consent to the loss. So this is where we really learn humility, responsibility, and where we let go of control and at the same time gain a certain 
control, but that's rooted in humility and responsibility and a maturity. Now, it's very interesting to see these stages in the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18 to 19, where um, the prophet the prophet Elijah had a major kind of victory. First of all, he's, God is gracing him and he's got this incredible charism of prophecy and miracles. And he has this major victory where the 450 prophets of Baal can't do anything with the sacrifice. And then he calls upon God, fire falls from the sky. And then in his zeal, he goes and slits the throats of all the prophets and he is kind of journeying with the king at that time. Now, the text doesn't give us too much. And I encourage you to read that if you get a chance. First um, Kings 18, I think it starts with verse 20 and goes through chapter 19 of this journey of Elijah. It's, it doesn't say too much, but it seems like he's really kind of thinks he's settled now. Like, okay, we're back in business uh, God, the God of Israel, is now in charge. It's been proven. These prophets of Baal are nothing. I'm in the king's good graces. But ah, soon thereafter, Jezebel. The Jezebel comes and she is not happy at all. And she says, what has been done to these prophets of Baal? May it be done to you. And may it be done to you soon. <laughs> And so something there happens with Elijah where he seems totally turned upside down. And he flees. And he leaves his servant in a certain spot. He's, the text doesn't give us much, but I'm imagining that he is going through all kinds of, all kinds of doubt, denial, anger, bargaining with God. <laughs> What is going on? God, where are you? You just worked an amazing miracle. We're on our way. And now I'm about to be killed. And none of this reform is going to take place probably, etc. Elijah goes into a depression. He actually says, Lord, take my life. I can't take this anymore. I'm no better than my father's. He falls into a deep depression. And just like when we're depressed, what do we want to do? We want to sleep. He goes into a deep sleep. He needs to be awakened twice by the angel who tells him to take the food and to make his journey. This journey is the part of his coming to acceptance. And then the acceptance uh, we see at Mount Horeb, which I'm going to give you in a moment for your meditation. But before that, let's talk about silence for a bit. The second uh, kind of area that was spoken to Arsenius of silence. Strive with all your might to be recollected. That's a quote. And I don't know who I quoted that from. I just put it in quotes. <laughs> maybe it was Father John. Maybe it was Arsenius. Strive with all your might to stay recollected. And silence is the way to do this. We need times of silence in our life. Yes, silence in prayer but also times of silence throughout our day, or silence when we're working, etc. It's that image of the muddy water that comes to mind. Our life becomes so muddied, um, but silence allows things to sift on all levels, physical, psychological, spiritual. The, the mud falls to the bottom. We start to have that clear water. 
we can see clearly more clearly with our life things that are important prioritizing and being able to sense God's presence with us more and more so a silent prayer is um, crucial in these times and again Saint Teresa gives advice for those who are restless and it's hard for silent prayer uh, bring things that help you uh, the spiritual reading and the scripture. And continually try to put yourself in the presence of the Lord and to, to speak to Him. Bring your attention back to that. So it's to go and encounter the Lord in the heart. And then this silence leads us to that third area of recollection. Recollection to be attentive to what is entering into the heart, what to keep and what, what to let go of. And to stay only with what is from the Lord. Even those things that can seem very good and that we love to stay with. Um, certain, it might be certain things that have happened recently that give you, give you a joy conversations that took place, um, successes, etc. But if that is a distraction to stay, um, to stay in the presence of God and stay still before Him, recollected before Him, then that also is to let go of. And this is part of the discipline, part of the asceticism that allows us to continually come back to God and stay recollected in Him. That's where that examination of conscience of St. Ignatius of Loyola can really come in handy during times of prayer, but also any time during the day, and especially at the end of the day, to see what is from the Lord and what is not. And we'll get more and more of a keen sense of what comes from Him, comes from God, and what doesn't. Okay. Now, for the meditation. For the meditation, we're going to look at 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 8. 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 8. So this is the story of Elijah while he's at Mount Horeb. And so before that, even kind of... As you enter into that story, think of what is it that you need to grieve? What is it that gives you anger, you may be in denial of, and that needs to be let go of? Where is it that we may have to allow ourselves to, to really... Um, really sleep on it, really kind of just allow ourselves to be um, to be worked at on a deep level and to allow God to be there. And then secondly, as we see Elijah uh, before he hears that still small voice, there's the wind, there's the fire, there's the earthquake. What are the things that move you, that draw your attention from God? Because the wind, the fire, the earthquake, those are all manifestations and things 
that um, things that can be really kind of grab our attention, but if God was not in the wind, not in the fire, not in the earthquake. So what are those things that are kind of, we may take as theophanies, take as manifestations of God in our life, but in fact aren't, aren't God. And then thirdly, spend time to listen for that whisper. What is God speaking to you? What is it that he wants you to really accept and to move on and to, um, what to let go of, what to accept, what to embrace and to really move on? How is he whispering to you? Let us pray to our blessed mother now that she would allow our spirit to be nurtured in the meditation and to allow any seeds that were planted to come to fruition. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.